Hi, I'm Deirdre Veldon and this is Confronting Coronavirus, a daily podcast on the COVID-19 outbreak. In a race against time, a critically ill patient from France makes it to Germany, where hospitals are not yet overwhelmed, despite some of the highest number of confirmed coronavirus cases in the world. There's more than 72,000 confirmed cases of COVID-19 in Germany, but less than 800 people have died. That is far less than the thousands who have died in Italy and Spain. Germany's been held up as a poster child in Europe for its approach to coronavirus, despite its proximity to Italy. Derek Scali is the Irish Times correspondent in Berlin. As we record this, the death rate from coronavirus stands at around one and a half thousand. That seems like a low mortality rate for a country of this size. Why is that, Derek? Yes, it, it is low. I mean, it's um, well, on a very basic calculation, it's about one point five percent, and we've had we've had uh, death rates of around twelve percent in other countries, including Italy. But I think people are here are quite nervous, not just because of Corona, but also they're nervous about being held up as an example because you know things can change. We won't really know how this played out until until the end of this pandemic. And um, the German experts I've spoken to, they've said, yes, there's been a certain amount of the the whole cliche about German efficiency, but there's also been a huge amount of luck. And um, I think they said things can change at any time. And I suppose what they're hoping is not to have some sort of uh, the feeling that they were holding themselves up as the best boys in the class. And then if things change, sort of schadenfreude coming in, ah, you're not so efficient after all. So they're really saying, look, two things. Yes, we were testing early. But secondly, compared to other countries, we had um, many of the cases we had were in the 35 to 59 age group or even younger. Um, and those are the people that most of the medics say their immune systems are just in better shape to fight back against something like coronavirus. And that was a huge issue. Are you seeing evidence now, though, that things are starting to change? Yes. Um, two weeks ago, we had a death rate of roughly 0.2%, and now we're up to 1.5%. But Germany has uh, almost twice the number of cases of Germany as the UK, but it has a death rate which is lower. So it's um, it's still, relatively speaking, performing quite well. And I was looking at some numbers last week, and they, I mean, there there are some simple facts on the ground, and the health system here at least on paper, seems better equipped. Um, I was looking at WHO statistics that were suggesting that Germany has about uh, 35 beds per 100,000 people, which is one of the highest in uh, the world. And Ireland has one-fifth of that. Now, I know the HSE in Ireland has said we are increasing the numbers of beds, but uh, so is Germany. So um, relatively speaking, Germany is quite well equipped bed-wise. Um, but of course, the health authorities here are saying yes, but you know, even our health system could be swamped in the next weeks. So they're not really walk, swaggering around saying we're the best in the world, we're just going to sail through this. They're as nervous here as anywhere else because um, it's a large country, it's 82 million people, and there are a lot of old people. And if they all start getting ill at the same time, even the best health system in the world will be overwhelmed. But as it stands, there is capacity enough there for Germany to take in patients from other countries. 
but in very small numbers. And they've also, there's a caveat there, they've taken in patients from France, they've taken in patients from Italy, but we're talking about a few dozen. And they've just said, as long as we have capacity, we will. But of course, once they don't, they won't. And um, I don't know if they will be repatriating sick people then, or will they hold on to them? But uh, certainly they're only doing this because they have the capacity at the moment. As you know, Ireland has struggled with testing, which is seen as key to to resolving the crisis. We're now sending tests to Germany, in fact, for lab analysis. And there are around 200,000 tests being carried out in Germany weekly. And I gather plans to increase this to a quarter of a million by the end of the month. That figure looks astounding from here. Yes, well, it's. I suppose it's under many factors, including Germany is still a, it's a pharmaceutical country. I mean, Ireland produces a lot of pills and so on, but Germany has facilities that actually does the lab testing to make all of this possible. Um, Germany is the country of, of big chemical companies like BASF. It also has a huge medical um, sector. I mean, just the the health system here is just it's a, it's it's just in another um, league to other countries. If if I'm a an employee at a German company, uh, I pay 7.5% of my income to on health insurance. And then the company I work for is obliged to match that. So basically 15%, the equivalent of 15% of my monthly income goes into the health insurance sector. And that just means that if anything happens, um, there is a health system able to cope. There's a health system able that has a steady source of financing. And you don't have the same things like um, surges. In, you have things like, like every country, a flu surge after Christmas, but you don't have the, um, the health system struggling to cope because they say, well, this is a predictable event. And while something like a pandemic is not as predictable as the flu jab every year, the system has this capacity that's able to cope. And they've been able to, because they have a consistent capacity in the health system, they have a consistent capacity with labs and with other things. So there isn't as much ad hoc planning because they already have the systems in place. But again, the Germans are saying, look, please don't um, think we have got everything sorted. The um, the labs are having the same problems finding um, some of the chemical reagents that they need for tests and so on. So again, everything is OK for the moment, but they're as nervous as anyone else about what's coming in the next week or two. Some of Germany's success in tackling the virus has been attributed to the strength of its pharmaceutical industry. How true is that? Um, I really don't know. I, I, I have heard of some of the um, medi- of some of the pharmaceutical companies and even the chemicals companies, because don't forget, a lot of this testing requires chemicals. They've all been able to change over production um, quite quickly. And there has been some talk in the background that German uh, German politicians have been quietly talking to those companies and saying, of course, we are first in line for your product. Um, you know, just like there's been a fight, uh, a terrible fight over uh, medical equipment and uh, protective gear. Um, there's been a huge fight there. But um, companies are able to produce the chemicals here for testing and they're able to supply them to people quickly. The labs are able to do the testing. Uh, they don't, I, as far as I know, nobody has had to send tests abroad. It's just, it's it's economies of scale. It's a large country. They have large capacities. But they have a health system which is consistently funded um, and it's expensive. It's an expensive health system when you think 15% of everyone's salary going on health every month. Um, but I suppose in times like this, they just have the capacities there when they're needed. Um, and um, that's that's really the issue. 
Just as Boris Johnson was being admitted to hospital for tests arising out of what appears to be a nasty bout of the virus, uh, German Chancellor Angela Merkel was returning to work after two precautionary weeks in quarantine, a metaphor for the two very different approaches, if there ever was one. Um, And she uh, returned to a surge in uh, her own popularity. There's even talk of a fifth term for her now, and, and she was due to stand down as leader next year. Is is that possible? Yeah, I mean, it's early. It's, it's too early to say. There was some speculation last week. She's coming to the end of her fourth term next year. The autumn of next year would be the end of that. And she said um, her popularity has been sliding since the refugee crisis. And many people, even in her own party, have said, thank you very much, but you're starting to become a burden on the party as opposed to a help. Uh, and Corona seems to have <laughs> cleared all of that. She's been a very, she's known to be a very cautious person. She doesn't do pathos very well, so she doesn't try. She doesn't try to use military language and military analogies like some other European leaders. Um, and she just came out very uh, early on. Uh, she took a while, but then she came out and quite was quite calm. And um, and I think people in Germany appreciate, they like the feeling that there are adults uh, running the country. And um she moved relatively quickly for German terms and she shut down the country starting the week of the 14th of March, but definitely from the 22nd. Um, everything was quite consistent. The messages were consistent. Um, the requests were consistent. Businesses were closed down. And she just gives off the air of somebody, who, the person you'd like to have in your corner during a crisis. Whether that will transform into a fifth term, we don't know. But one thing is for sure, the search for a successor has actually fallen victim to Corona because her party was supposed to be choosing a new leader at the end of this month. But that would be a mass gathering, which is at odds with the government's own regulations. So Merkel's own party can't meet to choose her successor. And um, the longer this drags on, the less time any successor will have to get themselves established before an election next year. So um, that's what has people talking about a fifth term. As it stands, it's probably unlikely. I think even Merkel thinks her fourth term was a mistake, but she felt uh, with everything that was going on and the world, uh, the world was changing with Donald Trump now um, in the US. So she felt there was a sort of a, they needed a, vo- a certain voice of, um, let's say, for multilateralism. And she was that voice uh, and she felt she obliged to stay on. But uh, whether she thinks uh, the situation is serious enough that she needs to stay on even further, I doubt it. But, you know, all bets are off, I think, at this stage. The German stereotype suggests there would be huge compliance with the restrictions, Derek. Has that been borne out? To an extent. I mean, we didn't have events like, I mean, Cheltenham, where I think people in Ireland were looking to Cheltenham and thinking, you know, what are, what drugs are they on? What do they not, do they not realise what's going on? We didn't have mass events like that. There were one or two regional events, sort of beer events, sort of pre-Lent events. But overall, um, there hasn't been sort of the mass, the madness. There are still people going to parks. There are still people going to, you know, DIY stores, obviously needing to get something absolutely urgent in this crisis. But all in all, I think most people have um, realised that this is up to them. I mean, I think every country has those, um, those, except those rules don't apply to me, people. But um, all in all, they've, uh, they've been, they've been adhered to. I mean, they have been watching, um, they've been doing sort of a minimum amount of surveillance on mobile phone data, not actually into the user data, but just watching mobile phones moving around and people have been staying at home. That has dropped. And um, 
already they're saying they can see the benefit of um, these movement restrictions. I mean, back a week or two ago, we were all talking about the, you know, the death rate. Now they seem to be talking about um, the reproduction rate. So how many people does one person who's confirmed with coronavirus, how many people did they pass the virus on to? And a few, uh, a week or two ago, before the lockdown began here, we were talking about four to five people. And now they're talking about the reproduction rate is one, so one to one. So one person with corona is passing it on to one other person. And they do attribute that here to the movement restrictions. So even if some people still are going out, walking their dog with their friends or having a party. My neighbour had a party here last week, kept me up till four o'clock on Saturday night. So he obviously felt the rules didn't apply to him. But all in all, uh, the, with the reproduction rate now down to around one, they say if that continues, they can talk about uh ramping up the country again towards the end of the month but only if it stays that way only if the health system doesn't seem swamped uh, and um, only if the vi uh, the virology and the, the disease control people here say it's worthwhile so there are a lot of factors at play but so far things seem to be creeping up and definitely we've had some cases you know this as in other countries old people homes are starting to see uh, a rise a spike in numbers but all in all things seem to be stable here in terms of your neighbour's party, uh, you took matters into your own hands, I think, Derek, did you? Yes. I mean, you don't really want to become the cliched German neighbour from hell going down. And in Germany, the way to deal with something like that, people will call the police. They won't go down and talk to the neighbour. They'll, they'll call the police, which always seems to me quite a passive aggressive way of dealing with a neighbourhood dispute, um, particularly when at this time, I mean, police are being expected to do all sorts of things. So, no, I let him have his party. I mean, that's what I have earplugs for. But the next day I got up early and I made sure to, um, I felt the urge to play the piano loudly at great volume uh, quite early while he was probably sleeping off his party. So um, I played, uh, I didn't know what I was going to play until I sat down and suddenly I found myself into the third verse of Ode to Joy from Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. And I had the window open at that stage just to air the apartment. And when I had finished, um, somebody on the street applauded. Uh, somebody told me later this was some sort of internet thing we were all supposed to be doing. Uh, I had unwittingly fallen into some sort of an internet trend. Um, but uh, I saw the neighbour the other day in the stairs and we nodded at each other. So I think the point was taken. Um, there are plans, Derek, for a smartphone app um, you mentioned there to tr track possible contacts, but it has elicited some controversy, hasn't it? It has. Uh, like a lot of countries, uh, there's talk of how do we, how, whenever somebody's tested positive for Corona, as in other countries, they have an interview and they're asked, how many people did you meet? And um, obviously the, the effectiveness of tracking down these contacts and testing them only depends on how detailed and how good the memory is of the person. So yes, the app of would, would uh, using Bluetooth would then see how many other people you came in contact with. That is already in development. It's I think in Austria they're going to have it shortly and Germany it's going to come soon but of course Germany is the country of had two dictatorships in the 20th century and the notion people are I think culturally just always very wary of anything that resembles state surveillance. So um, there are some concerns there but what I have seen what's interesting is I think people are more worried 
about uh, Corona than they are about um, sort of memories of the East German Stasi secret police or the Gestapo. And I think they have a huge level of trust in their government. So the polls so far have shown quite a, a, lar- a larger than I would have thought a readiness to adopt this. Um, so we're talking half and half. One half of the country would be up for it. The other half won't, um, which, of course, will raise the question, how effective will this be? But I suppose anything that adds to the knowledge of contacts, if it would be a bonus. Um, they will still have to do the contact interviews with people. But um, that one half of the country is prepared to consider doing this. I think the government wouldn't try to make it a mandatory as some other countries are considering. I think that would um, would be too far. Um, that would be considered a surveillance state by the back door. Germany's also trying to get ahead of the curve in preparing antibodies tests too. What are they trying to do here? Yes, that was announced. Uh, well, it, it's still officially under wraps, but last week there were two tests launched. Um, one is in Bavaria, but the larger tests would be 100,000 people just randomly chosen um, and they would be just given blood tests because they want to just see um, are there people out there who've had it and may have had mild symptoms or no symptoms at all and what would we then do? How would we be able to react? Because there's huge calls from industry. How do we um, ramp up the economy again? What if there's lots of people who are sitting at home who actually aren't at risk of corona because maybe they've had it already? So that's in the early days yet. But um, because, again, they have these test capacities, they're able to consider doing these extra things. Um, a lot of countries are struggling just to have the corona test done. But here they just seem to have the capacity to actually take on extra work. I think another factor uh, which shouldn't be excluded is Germany is a federal country, so it's not a centralised state like like Ireland or, or the UK. Well, the UK is partly centralised, but in Ireland, everything is centralised. So there's one health service executive. Um, a lot of the expertise is focused around Dublin. Um, a lot of the capacity as a result is is limited, whereas Germany is a is a decentralized state. There are 16 federal states. They all have their own universities. They all have their own laboratories. They all have their university hospitals. They all have their experts. Now, this can lend itself to a bit of a cacophony, you know, like 16 experts and 32 opinions. But what I definitely have seen, while it took a little longer for Germany to get up and running in terms of, you know, restrictions and um, limiting social contacts and coming up with consistent rules, um, what I definitely see is if you've got 16 federal states and they all have their own 16 different capacities for things, and that just means they can actually get on with doing things. They don't really have to wait for a central decision from Berlin. Obviously, things need to be coordinated. But I think in this crisis, again, when you have more decentralized centers of expertise, um, you also have just a whole different level of capacity. So uh, it'll be interesting once this is all over, if that is seen as that has been a, a strength, one of the strengths of Germany in this crisis. You've also written, Derek, about the novel approach to the virus being taken in Sweden. Uh, which has taken a much softer approach. Is that working? Um, Again, it's so difficult to know because we will only know at the end which approach was best. But um, Swedes have a very different attitude to their state. They believe, you know, they have almost a... um, this notion that the state wants the best for us and the the state in turn 
believes in appealing to people's better sense, better their better suite, as it were. Uh, and all of the restrictions that have been imposed elsewhere in Europe have really just been recommendations in Sweden. Um, for many Swedes, the greatest hardship has been that uh, the bars and the pubs are staying open, but there's only table service because they want to stop people clustering around bars or tills. But yeah, I have friends in in Stockholm and, and elsewhere, and they they say the city is is quieter, but you can go into a restaurant and order a meal. Um, uh, things were quite busy at the weekend, they said. But uh, the king went on television, I believe it was last night, the Swedish king, and he was sort of saying we need to do more. Uh, but it was still very much a... Uh, voluntary idea appealing to people's honour, as it were. Um, but already the um, Stefan Löfven, the Swedish prime minister, is supposed to be gearing up for more restrictive measures. So um, I don't know if that's because, like in 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 the Netherlands, you know, this they also took an approach. Well, let's just let things run. Um, but I think uh, the the mainstream thinking seems to be filtering through even to Sweden because the Swedish approach has been very controversial among some medics and some statisticians are saying this is madness. Um, so the Swedish approach, while it is popular uh, among most Swedes, there are dissenting voices and those dissenting voices do seem to be gaining ground. Thanks very much, Derek. On Monday, Angela Merkel told Germans it would be unwise to lift the lockdown describing the pandemic as the EU's greatest ever test. Her address came as Austria announced an easing of restrictions and Norway said its outbreak was under control. Austrian Chancellor Sebastian Kurz has promised a resurrection after Easter, provided citizens continue to limit their movements in the coming days. The Austrian plan will see smaller shops reopening in a week's time along with DIY stores and garden centres, and a major easing anticipated by the end of the month. This puts Germany under pressure to follow suit. But Dr Merkel said she and her government were thinking day and night about how to restart everyday life. However, she said it would be a very bad move to push ahead too quickly and have to take everything back. My thanks to JJ Vernon and Declan Collin who produced today's podcast, and thanks for listening. Stay up to date with the latest developments at irishtimes.com. We'll be back tomorrow.